This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's start. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful today we can study about health evangelism. And as we continue our journey together, we ask your spirit to be with us, to guide us. And uh, we thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this morning, you know, as I was covering things, my team was here from the, the health program that stands for Health Evangelism and Leadership Training for Him. Health Evangelism Leadership Training for Him. And they said, why didn't you talk about your program? And I said, you know, that seems pretty self-serving. But it's really not self-serving because if you do come to the health program, you learn all the stuff we're talking about and more. Plus, you get to work with great projects like the one you're going to hear in the next hour, BigCityBenevolence.com, where we're going to San Antonio. And you get to do medical clinics and different things. Let me just tell you something else. We're starting on the Weimar campus. I work on the campus of Weimar. We're starting on the campus a clinic. That's right medical doctors and whatnot, and people coming in from the community the clinic. And part of our program is going to be doing health coaching. So people that go through the health program, they are the physicians in the health clinic will be referring patients for them to do health coaching with. So they're actually going to go out and instead of just knocking on doors like we did the last few sessions, um, and you can find people that way, and we do health coaching with people, and it's really dynamite, and, and we can tell you all kinds of stories and testimonies at .com, but the, the, this more physician referral thing we think is going to be pretty cool because we're going to get a bigger load of patients right away and we're going to be, you know, we learn how to cook and then we go cook in their homes. We learn how to do treatments and then we go educate in their homes um, and show them how to do those treatments. We don't diagnose, we don't treat because we don't have licenses in our health program, but we do go out into the community and it's exciting to see what happens there. Um, we teach a cycle of evangelism that basically starts with, you know, um, uh, like we talked about this morning, creating a sanctuary, um, creating a, uh, um, you know, um, a credibility factor and whatnot, and then meeting physical, emotional, mental, spiritual needs and somewhat of a cycle of evangelism. If you'd like to see that picture and study it out, in the back there are some brochures about the health program, which I encourage you to do. Um, now, in our little series that we've been doing, Dr. Lewis, Lewis and myself, and let me just say, I really appreciate working with Dr. Lewis. I don't think she has enough energy, though, when she publicly presents. We need to work with her on that. No, she does. She actually has a lot. How many of you enjoy that energy? I certainly do. And... Uh, and she great, has great organizational ability, too. And God has been using she and her husband uh, mightily, which you're going to hear more about um, this next hour. So Christ and his followers turned the world upside down, and you can, too. That was supposed to be the first presentation, but it ended up being the second. Doesn't matter. The second presentation, which ended up actually being the first, don't be confused on the tape, was from self-indulgence to sacrificial service, and that was Dr. Lewis's testimony, which was heartwarming. And this particular presentation, medical missionary work, the present, present truth, and the vital role of youth, or we might say the young at heart, for some of you who don't consider yourselves youth anymore and are laughing right now. So, and then number four, reaching the millions for the master, big city benevolence, uh, God's end time work. And number five, what can happen in San Antonio? Remember the Alamo? There's going to be a huge uh, outreach there. We'll talk about that, why every young person should be involved. And then finally, 
and probably most importantly, the last presentation, prayer, testimony, medical missionary work, um, pretty much drives it all. So let's get right into this topic for this afternoon, medical missionary, medical missionary work, the present, present truth. Now, you remember as we studied together that we saw in our last hour together that Christ actually had a paradigm that drove his ministry. And what was it? It was the prophecy of Daniel 9. Do you remember that? And we discovered that when he came, he cleaned the sanctuary. He created a sanctuary space, if you will. It was already there, but he cleansed it. And he said, look, this needs to be open for true healing. And then what happened? He himself was anointed as the Messiah. In other words, um, they recognized that the Holy Spirit was on him and in him and worked through him. Well, how did they recognize that? Do you remember? Uh, okay. How many of you were here the last hour? Okay. Well, this is not good. You're not remembering what I said. Acts 10, 38. He went about doing good, right? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit, which is, that's the anointing. He was the Messiah. And with power. So how many of you had people say, yeah, I've got the Holy Spirit, but there's like no power. The Holy Spirit always brings fruits. Have you heard of the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, long-suffering, self-control, or called temperance, right? So is that important for health evangelism to have those fruits? You really can't have any without that. I wish I could do a whole seminar for you on self-control. I'll control myself, however, and stay on topic. So there's always fruits, right? But what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Holy Spirit was really he went about doing good, and specifically what kind of good? Healing. And that happened then for the first uh, three and a half years, 27 AD to 31 AD. Then on the cross, he died. That was, according to our seminar um, brochures that focused on 1 Peter 1, 21, by his stripes we are healed, is the theme of this conference. And so there was healing on the cross, and that healing on the cross was what? It was an emotional, spiritual healing. And we saw that Isaiah 53 summarizes that, that healing um, aptly. We won't go over it again listen to the first hour. Then there was a social healing. Three and a half years later, after the cross, Jesus has died. He was cut off in the middle of the week for you and me. But then there was a confirmation of the covenant. In other words, it wasn't just him. Jesus didn't come to just be Jesus and leave. He wanted people to be like him. Amen. So the cross was the entry point, not the exit point. When, it, when he said, it is finished, it didn't mean it was done. I, I don't know if you understand what I mean. How many of you understand what I mean? You see, there's also a book called Revelation. There's, you know, and in Revelation, it says at the end of time, there'll be a people that when they're doing their work, guess what, guess what comes? A voice from heaven says, it is done. So we live between the it is finished and the it is done. How many of you want to get it done because it is finished? That's the idea, right? So he wanted his people to uh, so fall in love with him that they would, Christ would come within them and then they would uh, you know, be like him. And this is what happened in the first three and a half years following the cross. What happened? Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Remember that? All of these were healing passages and they begin to confirm the covenantal, new covenant relationship that they had through doing exactly what Christ did. 
which was physical acts of healing, emotional acts of healing, spiritual acts of healing. Uh, you know, of course, the Spirit was leading in all this. And then what? Social acts of healing. They entered into the hood. That is the neighborhood. Right? And they fed people and they, they did all these different things. It was so radical that a great number of the priests believed. Now, I'm not going to look all these texts up. I'm just going to refer to them. And I'm going to ask you to write them down. I'm going to take a picture with your smartphone or even your semi-smartphone and just write the text down. Because here's the point of these texts. Every single one of these, uh, of the epistles, well, let's just say Romans. Romans begins with this picture of the Christ and the cross and looking at uh, what Christ has done for us in those first several chapters. People usually stop reading Romans at chapter 5. They don't go on to chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And you know how Romans ends, chapter 16, verse 17 through 20? It shows a picture. It says, you will crush Satan under your feet shortly. <laughs> you know? And, and, and you'll be obedient. Your obedience will be known to all men. Well, this is a radical, in other words, <laughs> you know, this idea of crushing Satan under the feet. Where is that from? Remember Genesis? You shall bruise his heel, but he shall crush your head, basically. In other words, the very first uh, the preaching of the cross was, guess what? He'll die on the cross. That'll bruise his heel. <laughs> but by the end of it, Mr. Devil, your head will be crushed. And notice who's crushing the head there in Romans 16. It's God's people. He uses his body to crush the devil. How many of you want to be a part of the cross and its extension? Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. You know, one of the huge things happening today is a blurring of, of what the seventh commandment means. Have you noticed this in this culture? And over the last 18 months, there's been a radical shift from the majority being against, for instance, same-sex marriage to a majority being for it. And politicians are jumping all of that and trying to define themselves and confine themselves and refine themselves as the great people that are trumpeting this new change. Well, that's not what the New Testament talks about. The New Testament says the change should be going the opposite way. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified. And it shows this picture of people going out of that kind of lifestyle by the power of God. How many of you remember that? Look that up if you're not familiar with it. Galatians as well does the same thing. Galatians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. God forbid that I should glory save in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, the cross, if rightly understood, what happens with it? I'm crucified to the world and the world to me. What does that mean? One translation says, I no longer have any interest in the world and the world has no interest in me. Now, what does that mean? That means you're not getting emails from websites because you visited them and say, we know you must have this kind of interest. How many of you understand what I'm talking about here? You're not getting, you're not getting, by the way, does, do people know anything you do on your, your smartphone? Everything's an open book. But when they look at it, they say, look, I'm crucified to the world and the world to me. I mean, the world doesn't even come knocking anymore because they go, we know what that person's about. They're about the cross of Christ. 
Are you with me? So each of these epistles do this. What the Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 21 talks about, you know, it talks about how these are enemies of the Christ, the cross of Christ. Why? Whose God is their belly. How many remember that text? By the way, is that a relevant up-to-date text for America? A 700% increase of diabetes in the last 10 years. Obesity is rampant across every single state. People's God is their belly in this nation and every Western nation. And when that happens, that means they're enemies of the cross of who? Christ. Because what happened on the cross? Christ said, look, Jesus said, look, <laughs> you know what? The victory I had in the desert, I also have on the cross. I'm not eating your bread. I'm not drinking this substance abuse you're bringing to me. You see what I mean? So this idea of crucifying the lust of the flesh is huge. And that's why these early believers turned the world upside down in one generation. They turned it up physically. They turned it up emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Everybody said, whoa, check this out. Of course, Hebrews chapter 10 as well. Hebrews chapter 10 is this day of atonement people. It pictures of people who after the cross, they still desire the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they, they, they do the works of God because they're looking forward to the judgment. And they live by faith. The just shall live by faith. How many of you are with me? This is the cross applied. The cross is only the entry point of the sanctuary. Are you with me? So, uh, you know, the cross was the declaration. And your life is to be the demonstration. Are you with me? That's the point. Okay, so, taking up our cross. So, with those early believers, look at this. Josephus talking about them. The early Christians lived to a great age. Most of them upwards of a century in consequence, I imagine, of the simplicity and regularity of their mode of life. So those early Christians, Christians, this is what the Advent, they were Adventists too. They believed Christ was coming again, but they lived in a way that turned the world upside down. So every single then aspect, for those of you just coming in, was a summary of a healing aspect of Christ's ministry. The sanctuary rebuilt, 457, the spiritual or the sanctuary of healing was reestablished. His physical healing, 27 to 31, his emotional healing on the cross. And of course, we looked at Isaiah 53 earlier in our first time together. And then that social healing of Stephen Stoning. But this prophecy in Daniel 9 is not then just a prophecy. It's a prescription. You want to create a healing environment and then figure out the needs and meet them as you take up your cross and follow Christ. Okay. Now, fast forward. The prophecy was not just the 490 prophecies starting in 457. There was 1,810 years left. 34 plus 1,810 is what? 1844. And in 1844, there was to be some kind of moving that involved a cleansing. And remember that text, Daniel 8:14. What does it say? Can you say it for me? Excellent. I am so delighted. You know, when I worked as a nurse years ago, I worked in a hospital down the road from, a, from the seminary I attended. And I asked a group of Seventh-day Adventist nurses, they had no idea what that text was. This just warms my heart to hear you say that. 
Because that text is the key text for health evangelism. Let me tell you why. You understand why without me even telling you? Here's the idea. Christ cleansed the sanctuary in heaven. This is what happened. The Adventists say, wait a minute. He didn't come again like we thought he was going to. What's he doing? So, oh, he's in heaven. Well, what's he doing up there? He's cleansing the sanctuary. And then they coupled with it this other text from Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Or is it 611? 6-11. 8-11 is good too. I can't remember what that says. But 6-11. What is it? Thy will, 6-10 and 11. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Look at that. Coupling those two together then, if Christ is cleansing things upstairs, then we need to be involved in cleansing things downstairs. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're cleansing things upstairs then we want to cleanse things downstairs. And this is what led to this whole idea, this discovery of the sanctuary. It was like setting the sanctuary in place again. And this idea that with the daily sacrifices, starting with the cross, memorialized on the altar, they would move in with the blood into the sanctuary and move all the sin away from themselves onto the sanctuary so the sanctuary would be polluted, but they would be clean. How many of you get the concept? That's the idea. That's the Adventist message, right? Then what would happen? Would that sin and impurity remain on the sanctuary forever? No, there'd be a solution to that pollution as well. On the Day of Atonement, the priest would go in, starting with the most holy place and moving out from that internal altar, then to the altar of incense, then out to the altar of the court, and finally everything would be clean, clean, clean. That's the Adventist message. The Adventist message is one of restoration, of cleansing, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, morally, anything else, Lee. Are you with me? It's cleansing everything. So this then provided the theological impetus to say, whoa, everything, we've got to restore everything. Whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. That's the picture. All right, now look at this. This Daniel 8 was connected with Leviticus chapter 16 because that was the Day of Atonement, right? But, you know, in my class, the health class, where I'm teaching all this stuff for four months, <laughs> so if you wanted to just listen to this for four months, that's where you go. I know, because I'm there. I have to listen to myself the whole time. <laughs> Look at Leviticus chapter 10. Clean meats, 11. Clean, uh, clean drinks is chapter 10. Chapter 11, clean meats. Chapter 12, cleanliness after giving birth. Chapter 13, clean skin. Chapter 14, clean up your leprous homes. Chapter 15, clean up bodily discharges. And then right in the middle is the Day of Atonement. Then following the Day of Atonement, don't eat blood. In other words, it's unclean. Leviticus 18, the laws of sexuality. So that's how to be sexually impure. Don't do any of the stuff listed in that chapter. Chapter 19, social laws. Love with a clean heart. Chapter 20, if you don't do this, the land will vomit you out because you're unclean. And chapter 21, have a clean church leadership. Can you see how Paul came up with this idea of whatever you drink, of whatever you eat, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God? Because the glory of God was right there, Leviticus 16, in all his glory on the Day of Atonement. And leading up to it and leading away from it in the book of Leviticus is this picture of complete restoration. 
Do you like that idea? Now, by the way, the Pentateuch, this is the first five books of the Bible, Leviticus is right in the middle. And right in the book of Leviticus, in the middle of Leviticus is chapter 16. It's the middle of the middle of the middle. It's the main thing. It's the present, present, present truth. It's in the middle. Are you with me? Okay. All right. See, after lunch, people have like a post-perennial lapse here. And they, they got to, their blood sugar starts to get out of whack, especially if, you know, they have a little diabetes or pre-diabetes. So I have to do extra things here to keep you awake. Now, I'm not going to move to electric chalk therapy unless I have to. But there are buttons underneath each seat, and I know. No, I'm just kidding you. Okay, so with all that, you see, the Advent movement was cooking with gas. I mean, they begin to just really kick it up a notch. God worked through that movement. James and Ellen White, they saw that many of the people were dying. They studied their Bibles. You know, the average age of expectancy or life uh, uh, longevity was like 40 years old. They studied their Bibles. They visited the health institutions of the day. They started their own sanitarium. And then they got a young doctor who filled the place up. He, first of all, terrified people. You know the saying, Beware of old barbers and young doctors. They terrified him at first. But then they saw that he was very, very good. And so he started a world-class thing. Here's some early exercise routines. How many think this looks good? They didn't skirt the issue then. Actually, they did. So they had the exercise thing. And then all these things started. He, he said, look. I'm a bowel surgeon. He did bowel surgery. He had 80,000 bowel surgeries. In the last one was in his 90s. And it was inside. He said, wait a minute. This is dirty in here. It's the solution to the pollution. We've got to have some dilution here. <laughs> so he says, we, we need to have something on the move. You know what I mean? And so he said, I'm going to create foods that are kind of like a broom to clean out this little room. So all these different foods that you see that are almost ubiquitous today, granola, soy milk, protose, nuttose, nut burgers, I mean butters, lentil and chestnut soup. And I don't know what the next one really means, but there are all these different things. And he and his wife work together in this ministry. And you know, we think, well, light, light therapy, that's cutting edge. No, it's not. He had light therapy. This one was really, no, no, this looks like an American Airlines stewardess from the 50s taking some light therapy there. And, and light boxes and all this stuff. And then they had hydrotherapy. Um, and this is a different form of hydrotherapy. <laughs> and then they had these lectures, you know, they had lectures where he got up and he lectured because he realized that cognitive behavioral therapy is what changed people. He didn't know the word, probably. And then Ellen White was helping them. And she had inspiration. Four major, four major health visions. I can't go through them, but I wish I could because they're all great. One of them came on Christmas Day. It was a beautiful gift to the church. In fact, now looking at the health message that Ellen White brought, I had Dr. Ka Dr. Uh, Colin Campbell come to my church several times. We're, uh, I would say, close acquaintances, if not friends. I mean, I'd call him a friend, but I'm not sure what he'd say. <laughs> and uh, I was talking with Campbell one day, and I said, look, I'm, I'm, I sent you an email and I sent them this email, which I printed it out later. I was embarrassed to find it was 16 pages long. Don't you hate when that happens? Because like an email, it doesn't look that long. And he printed it out. He goes, man, it took me a while to go through your email. But what it was was I, I did an appendectomy. 
on uh, Dr. Nedley's proof positive book. It has an appendix. Well, I took it out. And that appendix, <laughs> that appendix has all these statements that Elamite made about health. And I just sent it to him without the scientific stuff that Dr. Nell had. And I said, what would you think of these statements? This is what he wrote back. I'm not aware of anyone who's more on point than Ellen White. Given her background, she's truly an amazing woman. I'm convinced that almost 100% of her statements are now substantially supported by the scientific evidence that's been developed in the past two to three decades. And what I've come to realize and even deeply worry about is why is it that this message of Ellen White and others has been mislaid, so mislaid on shelves out of sight? It's abundantly clear to me that now is the time to bring it forward in whatever way is possible to do so. Man, sign that guy up, right? So look, this is the point I'm trying to make. The Advent movement had all these things in place. They had all these things in place. In fact, the loud cry of Scripture, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in end time magnitude, had begun. But then what happened? God saw a good thing happening, and guess what? Guess what? I mean, the devil saw a good thing happen. Guess what he did? Same thing he tried to do back there at the end of the 490 pro prophecy, right? He tried to get people at each other. And look at how Ellen White talks about this, looking back to the 1890s. She said this in 1904. I want to tell you that when the gospel ministers and medical missionaries are not united... There is placed on our churches the worst evil that can be placed there. You want to say, what is the worst curse I can put on your church? Get the doctor and the minister not working together. Get the medical and the ministerial separated. Get the prophetic separated from the practical. That's what we talked about all morning. Separate those two and you have a sterile church that doesn't produce fruit. With me on this? Now, why did this happen? You know, I have this file of why did it happen <laughs> in my computer. I'll just give you one illustration. A.G. Daniels, who would end up being one of Ellen White's staunchest supporters after the Kellogg fiasco, when Kellogg flaked out. A.G. <laughs> Daniels had his own problems in terms of health. He liked all of Ellen White's messages, but he didn't like the health messages that much. He started a book called Selected Messages. There's already one right now, I know. But back then, he was just selecting what he liked, it, liked and diselecting what he didn't like. And he didn't like when she talked about meat because he loved meat. And he would eat his meat regardless of the circumstance. In fact, he went once to the, all the ministers came for a meeting to the uh, Battle Creek Sanitarium. And they didn't serve meat in the Battle Creek Sanitarium unless there was this specific cases, but they had this window over there where you could get meat. It was like kind of this shady window off in the corner if you wanted meat. You went over there, and you kind of like held your head. He went right over there with all the ministers, and they ordered meat. And they came in right in front of all the patients and sat down to eat their meat. This really frosted Kellogg's flakes. He did not like this kind of stuff. And he got very, very, very upset. And this rift began to build. You know, here's the thing is, sometimes we don't realize it, but the only reason we have a health message today that gives us some kind of a bully pulpit is because there were some people that believed those prophetic utterances and the ideas in Scripture long before science had validated any of it. And the problem was that the ministers were taking the side of culture, 
not the side of revelation. And so we're so, not all ministers. I mean, my great-grandfather took the side of culture. He died of colon cancer. He was a contemporary of A.G. Daniels. And then my family split over this very issue of health. The, you know, the president of the Seventh-day Baptist Church is my cousin. They want all of the, uh, they want it all about the Sabbath, but none of the health. And they all die typically much younger, at least the people in my family did. Kind of fascinating. So this began to ratchet up. Now, there was a beautiful message that came out around that uh, a little bit later, a little bit before that statement of the worst evil, and it was the 1888 message. And um, you remember the 1888 message where it says, the Lord has sent a most precious message to his people. Jones and Wagoner began to preach that message. People's hearts were warmed. But part of that message was also that faith actually works. You know, the faith of Jesus in our lives will work out a holy character and whatnot. And uh, there was this dialogue going on behind the scenes. Now, there was a document that was discovered in the 18, from 1893, General Conference that uh, Kellogg wrote that wasn't, didn't really see the light of day until recently. And this particular document spoke about um, a series of talks that Kellogg gave at that general conference. He got up and heard Jones and Wagoner preaching, and this is what he's, he, he began to do a Bible study, and he began to quote some different things from Ellen White. Notice what he quoted. Where faith is, good works appear. The sick are visited, the poor are cared for, the fatherless and widows are not neglected, the naked are clothed, and the destitute are fed. Righteousness by faith works. And so he... They, they said, well, look, we're not going to publish your talks because we don't want your talks getting out. So he published them himself in this extra, the medical missionary extra number one here. And so he sent it out to all the members. He was uh, doing quite well with his medical practice. He could do that. Would you like to see what was in that particular extra? Here are some of the quotes. It is not the abundance of your meetings that God accepts. It is not the numerous prayers, but right doing. Wait a minute, that almost sounds relevant today. How many of you have met all the people that go to all the GYCs, ASIs? I mean, I love you guys, but is there more than the conference, okay? All kinds of people have prayed. Have you gone to a prayer meeting? They're talking about praying, but they never pray. Oh, man, I tell you. Listen to this one. Prayers, exhortation, and talk are cheap fruits. This one hit me pretty hard because I do a lot of talking. Cheap fruits. But fruits that are manifest in good works and caring for the needy and the fatherless and the widows are genuine fruits growing naturally on a good tree. Whoa. Look at this next one. When hearts sympathize with hearts, burdens burden with discouragement and grief, when the hand dispenses to the needy, when the naked are clothed, the stranger made welcome to the seat in your parlor and the place in your heart, angels are coming very near. So in other words, it's not enough to just say, oh, look at all the mission things over across the world. Bring them into your home. Ellen White actually did this. So did Kellogg. Kellogg, I think, raised somewhere near 50 children that were not his own. He said, any money that I have, I have no reason to keep that money for myself. In fact, I shouldn't. I should minister to the orphans. I meet people with the last name of Kellogg all over the place. And they'll tell me, look, I was, you know, I'm a descendant of one of these orphan kids. My last name's Kellogg. 
He lived it. So did Ellen White live it. She had, uh, I don't know, 30 or 40 people at one time staying in her house. She's a full-time prophet. How many think that's, that's enough? <laughs> right? Reading out, you know, writing out encouragement and rebuke and then giving it, that's rel relatively taxing. But then she's got all these people at her house. When she, well, I'll get to that later. All our praying and absences for food, from food, will avail us nothing unless we resolutely take hold of this word. So yeah, be as vegan as you want. But if you're not caring for other people, it doesn't matter. So in other words, what was the message that, that Ellen White and then Kellogg was giving? Go around, go about doing good. Do what Christ did. If you really are a Christ follower, then follow his example is the idea. Now, all of this is found in a chapter in Scripture, which is the present, present truth. And it's Isaiah 58. And Isaiah 58 basically says this. It has two days that are summarized in Isaiah 58. There's the Day of Atonement. And what's the other day that's mentioned in Isaiah 58? There's the Sabbath day. What church claims to believe both of these days that you've heard of? You heard of any church? It's the Seventh-day Adventist church, right? And here's the problem in Isaiah 58 pictures. The problem is there's all kinds of preaching, there's all kinds of prayers, but God is not hearing those prayers. There's no light, there's no power, there's no loud cry. How does it start? Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their sin, sin of Judah their transgression, right? That's a day of atonement language. You afflict your souls, but I'm not hearing you. In other words, you can have a day of atonement message, but still be disconnected from God. What is the solution that's mentioned in Isaiah 58? <clears throat> Having a love for Christ that manifests itself in Christ-likeness. And doing medical missionary work. And then, what's the promise? The promise is that the righteousness of Christ, look at Isaiah 58 with me for a minute. The righteousness of Christ will go before you. Look at Isaiah 58. You've got to see this. And I'm bringing this up because what happened was, even though the loud cry had started in the Adventist church, they had everything in place. It stopped. <laughs> And Kellogg, before he totally went off the deep end, and Ellen White and others said, the reason, one of the reasons is, because you don't understand the righteousness of Christ, you should repent of that, but also something else. The righteousness of Christ works. Faith works. That's the whole point of James, isn't it? Faith without works is dead. Right? Isaiah 58, look at it with me. If you are involved in what? Verse 7. Um, well, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? What would that be? Addiction recovery. Right there, right? The bonds of wickedness. Undo the heavy burdens. Well, maybe people, the testimony today. I was abused. This happened to me. That happened to me. I had a heavy burden. But Jesus took the burden away, right? To let the oppressed 
go free. Right? So this idea of oppression. And that can be very, uh, a very physically focused thing in many other ways. That you should break every yoke to share your bread with the hungry. And that you bring your, into your house the poor who cast out. And when you see the naked, that you cover him. Can you see where all these quotes came from that Kellogg was using? They came from Ellen White, but where did she get them? Isaiah 58. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. They were actually putting their retired folks in retirement homes that were run by Catholics. Okay? All the old Adventist ministers having to do Hail Mary full of grace. Let me think, that's not a good place to be retiring. Now, by the way, when I say that, I'm going to balance that statement out a bit. Did you know that Ellen White actually says there's be more Catholics in heaven than there are Adventists? Because God looks at the heart. <laughs> he looks at the heart, doesn't he? It doesn't mean we don't have a message to share, but I don't, I don't want to come across as cutting. We can learn a lot of things from faithful folks. Then what happens? Verse 8. Then, if these things happen, then what? Your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness, your what? Shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here am I. You want to have a dynamite prayer life? Then don't just pray. Seek to answer your prayers. Ellen <laughs> says it that way. Pray for the lost, and then go try and save the lost. Are you with me? So Isaiah 58, then the loud cry returns. That's the picture. Here's what she says. In the 58th chapter of Isaiah, the work that people, God's people are to do in Christ's lines is clearly set forth there to break every yoke, there to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, to bring the poor that are cast out into their houses, to draw out their souls to the hungry, to satisfy the afflicted soul. If they carry out the principles of the law of God in acts of mercy and love. In other words, this is carrying out the principles of who? The law of God in acts of mercy and love, they will represent the character of God to the world. How many of you want to represent the character of God to the world? They will represent the character of God to the world and receive the richest blessing of heaven. The Lord says, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, thy health spring forth speedily, thy righteousness shall go before thee. Of course, who is our righteousness? Christ is our righteousness that goes before us, right? And the glory of the Lord shall be thy rear ward. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Review and Herald, August 20. So, here's the point. If this had been happening, Christ could have come ere this. Many, many statements. This from, from Testimonies, Volume 6, which is all about medical missionary work. Had the purpose of God been carried out by his people in giving the world the message of mercy, Christ would have come, would ere this have come to the earth. Think about it. There never had to be a GYC ever even originated. Christ could have come ere this. You're saying, wait a minute, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have my smartphone. Look, there's more to life than your iPad or iPod. Get in touch. Are you with me? So, we need to learn how to reverse this worst evil. And this is what Ellen White began calling for. And so guess what happened when she began calling for it? They said, you know what? We think you should take an all-expenses trip to Australia on our dime. So they sent her down under. That is to Australia. This is what she said about it. At times before leaving America, I thought the Lord did not require me to go to a far country at my age when I was prostrated with overwork. But I followed the voice of the conference 
as I've ever tried to do at times when I had no clear light of myself. By the way, that's a great principle, isn't it? When we have problems in our little provincial areas of the world, how many think we should listen to the voice of the general conference in world session? How many think that's a, a wise thing to do? By the way, I think we're probably going to have an opportunity to do that this next year. What happened down under? This is what happened down under. This is what she wrote to Mrs. Jenny Ings. It has been presented to me that Australasia is the field in which we are to do a model work, a work that will show to our friends and brethren in other lands how the evangelistic work and the medical work should be carried forward in perfect agreement. In other words, preaching the prophecies, but also showing the practical. In perfect harmony, blended together, just like Christ did in his ministry, like I talked about today. Preaching and house-to-house work was one of the modalities. Too much dependence is placed upon preachers. While the house-to-house work is much neglected, Paul, the faithful apostle, says, I kept nothing back but showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Those who are laborers with God will ever work in Christ's lines. I'm excited. At Weimar, we're going to start this health coaching. We already started going into people's homes. We send students into their homes. They start helping them. They come back with great testimonies. I've heard some of the most exciting testimonies by just going. And we drew a line around our campus, only two-mile radius. Guess what? We found over 500 homes, and all kinds of people have needs in those homes. And guess what? When we start meeting those needs, they just get excited. When I'm talking about they, who am I talking about? Both groups, the students and the people being served. By the way, it's a lot easier to knock on the door and talk about someone's health or their yard work or other things than it is to say, will you study my prophecy series? Look, I've done both, and I enjoy doing both, and I still do both, but guess what? The entering wedge is the entering wedge. The right arm does open the door, and you can still get in the door without a right arm. It's just kind of harder to bang your head on the door. The reason the right arm goes with the body is because it helps open the door for the other. Amen? Next one, a change in evangelism in the local churches. Do Christian help work. It's the Lord's way of bringing the suffering and the loss to a knowledge of the gospel. It conforms more nearly to our Savior's method of work revealed in his early life. She's writing that to President A.G. Daniels. Do Christian help work. We started doing this like I just described. It opens doors. It opens hearts. And then people just come. I had people come and say, do you mind if we come to your church? That's a lot easier than saying, would you please come to my church? How many think that's better? Like, where is your church so I could come this Sabbath? How many like those kind of questions? Wait a minute, I didn't tell you all the 28 things you have to believe. Well, you don't have to because you came and helped me and, I, and whatever you believe, I'm interested in it. How many think this is a, this is a better way? I, I mean, the other way is, you know, develops perseverance and long-suffering. And that's good. We need those things. The fruits of the Spirit, how many think we should develop those? But I'm just telling you, this, this is so much easier. 1898, a change in education. W.C. White bemoaned the entire absence of any special instruction to fit students to care for the sick in connection with Christian help work. We don't just say, okay, we fixed you in the hospital, but we don't visit their homes and see what was really going on to cause them the problem. And education and training for Bible work is necessary. So also is the thorough education and training required that the worker may intelligently minister to the poor and the sick. How would we like to have our schools teaching this? Our curriculums are so stuffed that people have no time to do anything and they become self-focused, little myopic people like I was a number of years ago and still am in some ways. But you understand what I'm saying. 
How many of you understand? You know, your schooling is not about you. What are you going to do in school? The question is, what are you going to do for God since he's done everything for you? Right? So in our curriculums, sometimes we create like apostates because they go through academy and they never are reaching out. And then they go through college and not reaching. Why are they not reaching? Oh, we got to do our studies. And then they go through graduate school and they're not reaching out. And then 12 years later, they wonder, why is it that I don't want to reach out? I love Adventist education, but how many think we should maybe change it like Ellen White did? 1898, a change in education. He desired that faithful attention be given, quote, to thorough instruction of the students in nursing and Christian help work, as in Bible work. And within one year, the changes were made. I'm excited about a new nursing program at Weimar College that's trying to put some of these things together. Christian help work and all these different things as a part of a nursing program. How do we think that would be a dynamite program? See, the problem is it's a medical model usually used even in nursing. Take the pill, we'll send you the bill. But what we need to do is, guess what? Here's what you can do to be involved in your own, um, what would you say, healing and hope for the future. And I know there are places that are trying to do this as well. I'm not trying to be too harsh. But I think this was dynamite. This is what she tried to do down there, down under. Elder and Mrs. Caro, the medical work in Australia is destined to do more in this field than it has done ever in America, said Caro. We want nurses who are Bible workers, and we want Bible workers and canvases who are nurses. Fascinating. Camp meetings. Hold camp meetings in a different way. Follow them with tent meetings, accompanied by visiting Bible work, selling of bellical, religious and health books, Christian health work, and the establishment of a medical mission. In other words, don't just have a camp meeting where you say, well, who's going to come and speak? Well, then they name all the speakers in kind of a celebrity Adventist idolatry situation, and then, oh, they're coming, I'm coming. No, we get to go there, and we're going to do something for the community. How many think that's pretty good? You should know what? They have a book called Churchless Out. It tells why people aren't going to church and tells how to get people back. It's by Barna. Guess what he said? The most gripping thing you can ever do to someone who's a non-Adventist become an Adventist is to say, this is what we're doing in the community. Would you like to help us help the community? It's more gripping than even my speaking. <laughs> and that's an understatement. When you start doing things with people for other people, they get excited. And then they'll say, this is the church that really is doing things for people. Not just saying things to people. So, what happened down under? I got two minutes. Before I break, I'm going to go three minutes over. So just relax. Here's what happened. Ellen White modeled medical missionary work in a personal way, like Jesus. There was a change in the way evangelism was done in the local churches, like Jesus. The prophetic and the practical came together. The work of men and women was recognized and compensated like Jesus. By the way, she didn't say, let's ordain everybody. That'll solve the problem. You know what she said? Let's everybody work together. That'll solve the problem. She didn't, you, by the way, during her lifetime, just so you know, there were 27 denominations that began ordaining women during her lifetime. Don't think that she couldn't have picked up on that. She knew about slavery. She knew about all kinds of different things. She knew about temperance. She never jumped on that bandwagon. Instead, she said, let's just get busy. Let's elevate the discussion, men and women working together in their various roles. Some are better at things, some are better at other things. And she articulated that not just by saying it, but by doing it. 
Number four, there was a change in the educational curriculum like Jesus. Number five, there was a change in the way camp meetings and evangelistic meetings were done like Jesus. And what was the result of this method? By the way, all the mainline Protestant churches, they did other things to try and solve their problems, and they all tanked, and they're all losing members even today. But notice what happened. By 1899, Seventh-day Adventists became, because of the ministry known as Christian Help Work, were known throughout Australia and New Zealand and had more than doubled their membership between the beginning of that ministry in 1894 and 1900. And it all happened by simply serving people's needs physically, emotionally, socially, and then they opened up spiritually. And the power was unleashed. How many of you want to try that in your own local neighborhood? We did it in ours, Operation Blueberry. We used this Ellen White quote, be diligent to pick the berries nearest you, then search for those farther away. We drew a line around our campus of two miles, and we began reaching those needs. And now, amazing things have happened. I don't have to tell you. We used a little card. What can we do for you? We've done things for people around the world. What can we do for you? And people are beginning to open up. And there's all our different groups in the two-mile radius, pictures of what we've been doing. One of the needs was a, a dental clinic. They said, we need some dental work. So we got Dr. Chang to come with us. He got a team of dentists, plus me. Kind of scary there at the end. And we turned our entire college into a medical dental clinic for that day. And all of our staff and students worked together, taking the vital signs, doing massages, doing all kinds of things while they waited for the dentist. Then they also assisted the dentist, and they did that. It was amazing. The people in the community are still talking about it. I went down door to door recently and said, when are you going to have one of those dental clinics? We really like what you're doing. And they, you know, One guy was there on campus. My daughter told me <clears throat> he was there, and he was on his cell phone. You've got to come down here right now. It's free dental work. No, I am not joking you. Come down here right now. Get off the phone. Come down here. Well, it's not exactly like miraculous healings like Jesus did, but we'll take it. Amen? People just, uh, their lives were changed. We sang to the folks, our entire choir and different things. One guy said, uh, the choir singing to him, he goes, who are you guys? He was so touched with that. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it time that we put the prophetic back with the practical? Isn't it time? Isn't it time? Isn't it time that we put the cross back into our day-to-day -day activity. Isn't it time for the latter rain to begin again? Isn't it time? In our next hour, we're going to see what God did. You're going to hear a powerful testimony. I would recommend not even leaving your seats. It's going to be so powerful. But you're going to hear a powerful testimony that I believe, it was actually related in some ways to this message I just gave you. But you're going to hear this powerful testimony of what God did. And then our next talk after that about what God wants to do again. I'm so excited. I better stop talking so she has more time. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you today that you are the God of today. And you were the God of yesterday. You're the God of tomorrow. We've learned lessons that we looked into the past, but we want to bring them into the present so that we can have that bright future and so can many others that you've promised. We want you to return. We want to join with you in doing your work, not because it's us, but because it's you working through and in us. And we thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross. 
in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.